Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. My guest this week is Dave Brandt. Dave is the soccer coach at Bucknell University. During part one of my conversation, we discussed the draw to college soccer, creating an elite fighting unit, having captains or not having captains, and much, much more. Dave is one of the winningest and best coaches in all of college sports. So without further ado, my conversation with Dave Brandt. Dave, thanks, man, for taking time. Really appreciate it. Why don't you uh, walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, I actually grew up in New England. My my dad was in higher education, so I was kind of a faculty brat or whatever. Um, moved to uh, Pennsylvania when I was 14, ninth grade. So right, that's high school. So a uh, new area of the country for me. And um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I look back, I think in a lot of ways, um, I was a little bit of a late bloomer, just in terms of like knowing who I was, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I was joke. I was a, I was a first child and like extremely well behaved and like you know what I mean. I just, I was just like good kid, but like, yeah, I hadn't found my voice yet. And went to college. I was a business major. Had no idea I would ever be in athletics or coach. I mean, I played college soccer. That was my deal and a big deal to me. But um. Yeah, just in terms of late bloomer, I, I joke, I tell recruits and recruit parents now, um, this sounds impressive at first, but if you stick with me for a second, you'll know exactly where I'm going. Um, my GPA in college, actually, this is a true story, increased every semester for eight straight semesters. So people hear that, they're like, wow, you know, good job. And I'm, but then you think, well, you kind of got to start low to give that a chance to happen and then improve incrementally, right? So, um, yeah, I was like 20242752929 but you know my point is I think by the time I was a junior and senior in college um just starting to sort of realize who I was became very interested in just how groups function what motivates them what helps the whole become greater than the sum of the parts um what is the opposite of that and and um it just interested me and so you know, long story short, um, some of that in my later college years combined with, um, you know, I guess my experience playing soccer and I sort of fell into coaching. Um, my college coach was very instrumental in that happening. Uh, I assisted him for 12 consecutive seasons, of course, after I played for him for four, and then I succeeded him. And he was, he's one of three, uh, I would say, male role, role model figures in my life that are really significant. And I think it was my college coach who first sort of put in front of me the idea that within, okay, an organization, which was our college soccer team, but right, an organization is an organization that, you know, there could be values, um, shared principles, um, sense of purpose, whole greater than the sum of the parts. And just the idea that those should be integrated into what we're doing. So this integration of identity values who you say you are and 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 all this sort of thing with that with what you're actually doing i think um uh, as i look back it was a really important um set of years with him so after 16 straight years with him you know and i, I did get into coaching obviously 12 years an assistant um i succeeded him at this school in pennsylvania called uh, messiah college and yeah spent um yeah, I mean, I graduated from college in 1985. I was assistant uh, with him from 85 to 97, head coach at Messiah from 97 to 2008. And that's where things um, 
um, kind of took off for that program. I would say I inherited a program that for for forever really was quite good, never great, but but good, respectable for sure. And in my fourth year there, we won our first national championship, and then I think in the next uh, seven years, we won five more and went to all seven straight Final Fours. So it was kind of crazy success. In the end, it was six national championships and eight Final Fours in my final nine years there. Um, and that program became a thing. Um, I, I left after the 2008 season. My assistant succeeded me. Uh, he's still there now. Um, and so that, you know, doing a very similar thing, both on and off the field, culturally and tactically and that sort of thing. And so that program has thrived and it's a, it's a really neat thing to see. I left for the Naval Academy, spent seven years at Navy as head coach from 2009 to 2016, um, remarkable place, had a remarkable experience there. Um, absolute truth be told, regret leaving in 2016 um, because what an amazing place for a person like me who, you know, is really big on culture and leadership to be at an institution like that. And and it, it was an amazing seven years. I left for the pro game in 2016, spent two years in the pro game in Pittsburgh and had an absolutely amazing experience. I'm one of those guys and I don't know how many other people are like me. I, I just need like three lives or something to do all the things I want to do. So it doesn't work that way. Uh, but had an awesome experience in the pro game, met, met amazing people, just got to do things and coach players that I never thought I'd get to coach. Um, and one thing led to another. I, I was always looking back to get back into the college game. Um, spent three years in Michigan at a school called Hope College, uh, 2018 to 2021, um, which was a neat experience. Great school, uh, but knew or thought knew I wanted to get back into the D1 game. And so um, fast forward now, I've been at uh, Bucknell University uh, Patriot League team um, in my second year here. So that's hopefully a quick and succinct um, uh, life story version. I love it. Love it. So you just mentioned always looking, you, you, you felt like you were always looking to get back into the college game. What was it, what is it about college or what was it about the pro game that you sure. wanted to get back into college? Yeah, no, good, good question. So I, I think one of my um, tenets has been that, that, you know, and I, th I think with what happened at Messiah with all those national championships and all that success, it was a really uh, specific and I think remarkable culture that developed there and still exists there. Um, you know, guys would win. Yeah. I mean, you were kind of nobody if you didn't win three national championships in your, your four years. That's kind of the program gram joke, you know, like what? You only won two or something like that just because we're winning so much. But but guys didn't talk about the winning and that, you know, that sounds all nicey nice to say, but it's a true story. I mean, they were deeply impacted in this idea of using as soccer as the vehicle for life impact, personal growth, leadership development, relationships of depth and substance that, that were lifetime relationships. These are the things they talked about. And so it was a really, so my, my claim was that this could happen anywhere, not just at this specific school in this specific uh, situation. And so I think part of my journey and my moves have been to try and prove that. And I think you know, it was certainly true at Navy. The move to the pro game was was sort of a, a brazen move that involved a couple things that said, hey, I can do it at that level too. And I think it's very doable at that level. And I think some other people in, in different sports around the world, I mean, some don't care, frankly, and it isn't the thing, but I think some people are proving that it is true. Um, that being said, I think for me, you know, once I was in the pro game for a year and a half, two years, um, I, I just realized about myself, I mean, just 
operating. So I, I think the best place for me was just under the umbrella of higher education, if that makes sense. And obviously, you know, in the professional game, of course, that umbrella doesn't exist. And so, um, you know, ironically, I, I think in some ways too, the pro game was maybe a stepping stone. I was pretty sure I was a pretty darn good coach and pretty sure I ought to be, at, you know, at a power five program or whatever, and had come close and a couple of those jobs hadn't gotten them. But a funny thing happened to me when I was in Pittsburgh in the pro game. I uh, and this feeds into why I went to Hope College in Michigan for a couple of years, and I'm now at Bucknell. Um, I, I really think for me, and it doesn't matter, but I realized for me, a higher academic environment was probably the sweet spot, and so that pushed me away. Then, uh, ironically, uh, from thinking, oh, you know, I, I've got to be at an ACC or Big Ten or something like that, and so. Yeah, a little bit of a circular journey. And I think in that sense, um, you know, being uh, at Bucknell, back in the Patriot League, back in Pennsylvania is um, uh, redemptive uh, in a lot of ways. And, and yeah. a good thing. So um, you're, you're, you talk about um, using soccer as a way to develop people. And I know that just from your background and your faith, that, that, that a faith is a big part of that. Why do you think that so often there's this... Um, there's there's often this either or we're either got to focus on winning or we got to develop people and have a mediocre program. Yeah. Why why do you think it is? Yeah, maybe riff on that a little bit. Well, no, that's a really good question. And so, you know, honestly, um, <laughs> I go back and I, I don't want to step on toes or speak out of turn or whatever, but I I think back and this goes back to my college coach. So now we're going back a few years, but you know, it's almost like my college coach would talk about you know why the the proverbial church basketball leagues would have like fights, you know, right? I mean, like that's that's what you're that's what you're asking. Yeah. And um I I would, you know, that's a good question. Like we've lost the plot. What are we doing? Right. But but there is this potential separation between just the competitive side and human nature and just the nuts and bolts of daily life. And oh, this idea of integrating values or principles or faith or however we're going to define depending on your situation with what we're doing and as i mentioned before my college coach was very intentional about that and so that you know i was i was sort of a sponge for that but that really resonated with me and and became something i attached to additionally i would say this um so i you know i mentioned there were kind of three primary male influences in my life my college coach being one I would say my my wife's father, and this is a neat thing, it doesn't always happen, but passed just a year and a half ago at 90, just great guy, he was another. But then my own father was another. And my, my own father, and I inherited none of this, uh, unfortunately, but he was he was a physicist. That was his trade. He taught college physics. And um, again, somewhere I, I lack uh, the talent to do physics or any high-level math or anything like that. So I don't know what happened. But, you know, my dad used to say, he said, and this is this goes way back, but he said, you know, we, we would talk about this integration stuff. And he said, he said, there's no Christian physics. And mm -hmm. so I'd look at him and he'd say, there are Christians who do physics. There are non-Christians who do physics, but physics is physics. In other words, it's a discipline. It's a thing, respect on its own. So I, of course, would translate that to soccer or athletics or competition and I think this feeds very directly into your question. And, and I would say it's my belief to this day. And his point was, look, like where are the people of faith and people of values who are the best at things? And, and we need to be careful how we define the best at things. You know, I would say 
it, it's not as if, right, you're nobody if you don't win this or that championship, but excellence, maximization of potential, um, being on the front foot, leading the way, being a developer, and not just leaning on our faith as some moral high ground, and that's enough, if that makes sense. And yeah. so, you know, when I took over at Messiah, th this was really key. So as much as my college coach was a huge role model in my life, it was actually a departure from some things that some ways that he did things that, in my opinion, enabled Messiah soccer to happen and all these national championships. And and none of the national look, when we won our first national championship, I, I was frankly amazed. I'm like, wow, I'll be darned. But I also realized apparently uh, our process was capable of producing national championship. So that's what I learned from the first national championship. And if so, then it's important to maximize that. And that doesn't, you know, I don't control winning. I never have, I never will. But, you know, the way in which I change, and I think this is interesting, um, my college coach was a John Wooden disciple. So, you know, I think a lot of listeners would know who Wooden was, but some as the years go by wouldn't John Wooden was the legendary UCLA basketball coach and sort of the original gentleman coach Wooden's pyramid of success and all his principles and just a revered man, you know, who's now since passed. And so my college coach was a wooden disciple. And so he talked about process and values and principles and doing the right thing in the right ways at the right time for the right reasons. And these are all of course, critical things without a doubt. But I'm telling you, I, I was with the man for 16 straight seasons because I played for him for four. I was his assistant for 12. And I swear to you, he never mentioned the word win once. And, and that's a wooden thing as well. And, and wooden won plenty, right? I mean, if you know wooden, you know he won plenty. But and, and you know, maybe that's OK. But but I joke a little bit that when I took over. I came out of the closet like I was going to talk about winning and I, I wasn't going to apologize for it. I mean, I I we took dead aim without sacrificing, I hope. I mean, I don't think so. Any of what's critical in terms of identity and principles and values and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I think we married the two. We were going to take dead aim at being the best. We were going to appreciate and believe that bottom line excellence was going to affect this while um, maintaining and hopefully even building on um, an extremely sincere effort to integrate um, our Christian values with who we were as people, individuals, and who we were as a team and as a program. It's really good. What was you mentioned your process that led to winning a national championship? Give us insight into what that process looked like. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I, for me. Um, because that's a big question. I mean, I, that could be answered in a lot of different ways. I'll, I'll answer it a little bit more from a, you know, from a flyover view and, you know, we can get in the nuts and bolts or somebody could follow up if they wanted to. But from a flyover view, um, <clears throat> I believe that the start point of leadership for any organization is what I call vision. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of these things, including vision, are sort of buzzwords that are easily thrown around. So I try to be careful to define some of these words so that we're not, that, that we don't leave them vague. So I call vision knowing what you want it to look like beyond the bottom line. So the bottom line in business, of course, is profit and athletics It's winning. So, you know, winning a national championship or winning a conference championship or a state championship, that's not vision. 
Okay, that that's that's fine. That's great. Obviously, that's the point. But that's a result. Vision is knowing what you want it to look like beyond the bottom line. And it's remarkable how many leaders in any walk of life actually don't know what they want it to look like beyond the bottom line. So I remember my very first team meeting as head coach at Messiah. Now, uh, remember, I'd been there 16 straight years, but in a different capacity. So here I am. It was January 97, just back from Christmas break in a classroom, the team sitting there. I mean, you know, they knew it was coming, obviously, but this was literally the first time I would stand in front of them as head coach. And I wrote on the middle of the whiteboard and drew a circle around it. um, Best place in the country to play college soccer. And that was our vision. Um, I didn't say best team. I wasn't talking about championships. I said best place to play, best guys, best coaches, best fans, best system and style of play, like most in it, just beyond the side. Like we just talked about what that meant. And that became our vision. And our vision was our measure then of right or wrong. If we, anything that contributed to that vision was done and encouraged and deepened. And anything that didn't, of course, was expunged. It was outside the circle. So vision is terribly important in that respect. Um, um, the second thing is, you know, we, we, I always made a big deal in our process just of leadership in general. So, you know, I wasn't even talking about captains, though it certainly involves that. And I wasn't talking about coaches, though it of course involves that. I was talking about everybody. I wanted everybody in the program to think of themselves as a leader and to feel as though they were in a leadership laboratory where they could grow as, as a leader. And so if we're going to do that, you have to carefully define leadership. So we were very careful to define leadership as, as service, as servant leadership. And it's funny, during my years at, at uh, the Naval Academy, um, it was really cool. I got involved in their leadership department just on sort of an ad hoc basis. And yeah, a lot of awesome people there. And we would have these um, gentle arguments because they would claim that servant leadership was a le- was just one of many leadership styles. I would argue back that a- at its core, that servant leadership was much more than that. It was more than just... Um, you know, a, a, a piece of food on the buffet line uh, that you might pick or you might not. I, I argued that some type of service leader, service-oriented leadership was actually the true heart of leadership. It was the sweet spot. It was the ping. And so, you know, I would say secondly, in terms of you asked about culture, it was vision. Um, it was very, very carefully defining leadership. And, and um, the third thing um, I call intentionality, uh, the tool of leadership. And um, I, I think I think it's really really important. My bias would be, and I I admit it's a it's a general bias, but my bias would be that most leadership, again in most walks of life, falls short of being intentional enough. Because even if you have a great vision, right? You've you've got this list of core values. You mean well. You want these things to happen. The right signs are on the wall, so to speak, of, of the of the company or the organization or the team. And you've even got the servant-oriented leadership part right, right? I mean, like you're not about you as a leader. You're you're doing things for your people. I mean, that's the the you know the baseline essence of servant leadership, just to, to say it quickly. Unless you're intentional about teaching, modeling, integrating your vision to a T. And I would say intentional about confronting what I would call disconnect, drift. You know, drift is when we just, we don't mean it, but we slowly drift away from the vision. 
you know, those things require combative energy and combative courage. I mean, now we're out of the realm of nicey nice. <laughs> now we're into the realm of of hard work and possibly slightly unpleasant things. And I would say about my college coach, um, he was intentional about some things. I think his vision was impeccable. And I think his leadership style was a thousand percent servant oriented. As I look back, in many ways, um, he he was the guy who modeled well, but really didn't confront some of these issues enough in too many areas of the team. And it's why I believe that we would have gone, we could have gone another hundred years at Messiah and remained good and never become great unless there were changes. So I mentioned earlier there were going to be some changes. One was being um unapologetically talking about wanting to succeed, uh, to win. Another was to become very intentional about the details. And I think the the line between sort of intentionality and obsession is a thin one. Mm. I mean, having been through it, I, I you know, I'm, I'm pretty honest about some things I think. And I, I would honestly say that I think it's a lot of work and it's hard, but that's the work of a leader, uh, in my opinion. So that's the flyover. I mean, okay. those things framed the culture and continue to frame, you know, any any place I'm at or anything I'm trying to do. If if I were to spend, I don't know, two months with you and your Bucknell team this year, um, what would I walk away saying, Dave is really intentional about these things? Like, what are you constantly talking about? What are you constantly uh, confronting, to use your words? What are those key things that you're like, we're, we're, I'm, I'm majoring on these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, our team's identity and our values. Um, so I, I believe pretty strongly in, in a sort of, um, boil it down, um, stated identity. It, it gives you something to attach to. So, you know, I, I think at Messiah, just because I mentioned it earlier, it was this best place in the country to play college soccer that that's a little bit of a of a skewed identity it's kind of a statement but it just had this ping to it and everybody attached to it so at bucknell right now um we describe ourselves as an elite fighting unit and um again um, without meaning to step on toes because I, I i never mean to but i am pretty forthright and honest an elite fighting unit in a program at a school that, you know, quite frankly, is a really, really expensive school. It's a really good school. I mean, it's like an Ivy League school. That That is not normal or familiar for any department team or group at Bucknell. It is an outstanding academic institution without a doubt, but you know, it, it's, it's not in their normal DNA and ethos to be about and do the things that take the discipline and the values that it would take to actually create an elite fighting unit. Um, that That's just a different idea here. Uh, I mean, that's not the way they did it here in the past before I got here. And it's not generally not the way other teams do it here. And I think a lot of people here would advise against trying it because it's mm. countercultural to the institution. But that's typical me. So we're we're in the mess of that. So I hope you would walk away um, because we had, we had a very tough fall season, but it, it's a very interesting situation where we're rebuilding a program and remarkably, <laughs> remarkably, the guys just fought tooth and nail to the end, finished well. That's one of our values and credos. And, you know, we, there are a bunch of team values, but I hope you would walk away thinking, 
man, team over individual, substance over image, um, act over feel, mean no offense, take no offense, king leadership, which is the way I define servant leadership here, uh, finish strong and some others in terms of our values. Love that. Um, you mentioned uh, just briefly captains, no captains. What does leadership development look like in your in your program? Do you do captains? Do you have a leadership council? Do you, right. is, I know you said everybody, coaches and players, have yeah. a leadership role. Yeah, walk us through that. Yeah, I've done different things over the years, and I'm um, actually in the process right now at the moment here of of doing different things and making a change. So for me, um, I don't know that there's one right right way to do it. It's been situational for me over the years. Um, I've had one captain, two captains, three captains, no captains. Um, very familiar with kind of the leadership council idea. I, I've never done that by name, but I've probably um, done that sort of in action at times in terms of how I treated or met with or spent time with certain groups of people. But to be totally honest, when when I when I got here, I mean, I've been here like twenty months now or something. Um, until now, um, I I hate to say it, but I've been the captain. Yeah. Um, nobody has. It's such a culture change. Nobody has known or understood well enough what I want. And um, you know, I feel I inherited a group of on one level really great guys. I, I've enjoyed my relationship with. Gosh, every single player I've coached, I just haven't had a bad experience yet. That being said, I was such a change for guys I inherited here. You know, I decided to meet them where they were. And that was always going to mean um, some level of compromise. I and mean, I think there's good compromise and there's bad compromise that you shouldn't do. And we don't need to get deep into that. Hopefully the leader is is wise in how he or she handles that. But you know, for me, I, I feel I've had to 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 sort of give and take with how much I ask so as not to push them over the edge, so to speak, and push them to keep them in the realm of what they're capable of. So as of this moment, as I talk to you right now, where our fall season has just ended and we lose another group of seniors, um, more is possible. And so I've actually, uh, am in the process right now of appointing three captains um, minimally through the end of the spring, because now we need leadership and accountability badly and it's possible. So that's a, a bit of a treatise on the situation right now, but just an example. I, I will say that sometimes, maybe often or always, I've defined it to the team when we do have captains, look, we've got two captains or three captains or whatever it is, and 22 leaders. Because I think it's very important, and at least it's always been important for me to really deepen and enable this concept that everybody's a leader from the from the last guy in the roster or the youngest guy or the freshman or whatever, we expect leadership uh, mindset, leadership activity, and thought uh, from everybody in the program. And then we may also have captains, if that makes sense. 